Sound Design Live. We've discovered three revelations today already in our discussion. See, I wish we were recording all the time, because that way people would know that the California flag should be a pear, not a bear. It's true. That um, Vietnamese food pho is not pronounced pho, it's pronounced... Pho. 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 Something like that. (laughs) And what was the other one? As far as we know, no one has done an audio-only Twitter feed that has no text, just links to audio that then you would have to listen to. Restrained only 140 characters. (laughs) Okay. Sound design. Live. Scholars and gentlemen. Let's talk about why... Can that be the name of this episode? (laughs) Can you please have the first episode of your show called Scholars and Gentlemen? I will call it whatever you want, but then the metadata will be something like... No, that's it. No, we're done. (laughs) Scholars and Gentlemen, a conversation with William Wardlaw. (laughs) Okay. And now, and now we have to live up to it. Now we have to really live up to it. So this is the Sound Design Live podcast. I'm Nathan Lively, and I'm here with William Wardlaw, and we're here to talk about the real world of working in audio. William is a DJ and a producer, and he is a co-creative director and in-house DJ at Zoog House Gallery, where I am also a co-creative director. Were you going to say something? Resident DJ. Resident DJ. Um, uh, Here in Berkeley, California. And he is also information systems and social media manager at Edu Culture International. It didn't sound like you were reading that at all. No. I memorized it. Did a lot of research for this. Of course, you care. So I guess the first thing I want to ask you is when you're at Edu Culture, are you daydreaming about music or when you're working on music are you daydreaming about information systems or are you always in the moment working on those two things that interest you i definitely multitask (laughs) (laughs) um primarily because to spend eight hours a day worrying about the information systems and social media presence of a small study abroad company, it really helps to have beautiful music to listen to in your ears or entertaining comedy podcasts. What I've learned at my day job is going to always play a role in my future understanding of my own marketing of myself as a musician and I, increasingly, I see it as an asset that I'm going to be able to lend to my friends' careers as well, um, whether it's editing a website for usability or search engine optimization or effective social media promotional strategies or understanding the difference between inbound and outbound marketing and really seeing the return on investment of blogging and Twittering and Facebook accounts and getting away from AdWords campaigns and pay-per-click and, you know, all of that can be just very 
useful small business from a small business standpoint, but as an independent DJ and um, many of my friends who are producers, these days there's very little barrier to entry to become a record label or to you know, release your own music essentially. So the ability to make an impact, the skills that I've learned do play into that for sure. And so I, I'm, I'm excited to, to, to use that for the benefit of both my own music career and the, the artistic career of my friends. All right. Whether it's music or art or whatever, whatever that may be. So I want to talk about software and hardware for a minute and what DJs want. Um, I think it used to be that to, to throw a party, you just needed a sound system and a couple of turntables. And now on, D, on a writer for a DJ, you've got a specific kind of mixer that they need, um, specific turntables, uh, specific CD players, maybe maybe more than two, maybe three. Um, and then maybe they need a microphone too because they're going to have a singer. And then you need something called Serato, which I want you to explain because I'm still not sure if that's not just a fancy audio interface like a sound card or, or what is that and why does the audio company have to provide that? So there's long, I feel like there's this big list of stuff that you have to bring. DJs become more performers and less just disc jockeys. Both the playback method and the sort of the conduit for those two to come together, the mixer, the how that flows, how that process works can be drastically different and can go any number of ways. And But is this different for, for all DJs? I mean, that's why they, there's so many different setups now? There's, there's so many options. You've got people that use more programs like Ableton Live or other more heavily sequenced sets where primarily you're not using any sort of playback mechanism. You're, re you're really just using a MIDI controller of sorts. So that's completely, that's kind of the new style of mixing that's becoming more and more popular for like producers and like primarily people using live. Um, you know, some, some guys like to spin CDs, but they're nothing like mixing with records. Uh, and I've really early on started to appreciate vinyl um, in a lot of ways just because the DJs that got me involved in wanting to DJ were big record heads. You know, DJ Crush, DJ Shadow, RJD2. I'm glad I got into vinyl early though because a couple things. One, the sound of vinyl is different. You know, the, there is a warmth, especially when you have a loud sound system, a really like good, well-balanced sound system with some good output. And some of those frequencies that you get with a, especially when you're scratching, cause you can, you can slow it down and, a lot more and do some tricky stuff where you're you're making that record make frequencies that it didn't wasn't produced to make but you can create you can actually create those sound waves um it's a lot harder to do that with a digital emulation but you know i, I just i just don't buy that argument like the 
I could totally understand the tactile interface. It's really hard to believe because you know, at some point in that audio path, it was in digital. You know, there's hardly any records made anymore that are completely analog. Oh the no! Way, you well, know? that's so, it's the no. What it is? It's hard, really hard to believe, I guess. No, it, it, you're wrong. Um, you're not wrong, but uh, that would be strong to say on your own podcast. It doesn't make sense. Well, I, I, I have experience. And a good example was there's a, a, a local DJ, Benji B, uh, DJ Centipede, who's an awesome turntablist. Okay. And he does a lot of performances. It may have even been when he was opening for Crush or somebody like that. But uh, he was opening for someone at Mezzanine, and Mezzanine has one of the best sound systems in San Francisco. And his little in-between act... 45's DJ set you know this is professional DJ going on after professional DJ on the same sound system with a well trained audio engineer in the back of the room with every bit of control over every element of the sound and he cannot make the headliner sound as rich and full and bassy as he can make the mid act. And the only difference between those two is that that mid act, Benji B, had real records that he was playing, and the other guy was spinning Serato wave files on a digital system that's emulating and And they were spinning similar 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 style of music. And no, like I I told my friend who's actually she, my friend Crystal who's a DJ and an audiophile and who knows Benji very personally and is a good friend of his and she she just laughed and was like yeah he's got to stop doing that because because it's it's become more the norm because it does i mean on those sound systems those headliners do sound amazing and it is you know there's no, you can't say that one is one is not good compared to the other. It's not that. It's it's that there are really are certain, especially bass frequencies, that for some reason, the groove of an actual diamond needle in a vibration, shaken around, <laughs> making a signal, and just taking that signal directly and making that signal really, really loud, it, it can do things that, yeah, a, a computer playing back a WAV file just has... has it's, it's mysterious, I'll admit, but... No, I mean... Pe- I felt it. This is... This is- this is why we do the podcast. This is why we talk about audio is and why people say that it's just black magic and people don't want to look to physics to talk about these things. People aren't interested in physics to describe audio. It's there, it's available, but we don't that's not interesting. We don't want to talk about that. But what I want to I I think that um at this moment if you interviewed a bunch of DJs and you said would you prefer to mix with vinyl because of the sound? Does it sound better? They would, you know, probably 90% would say, yeah, vinyl's always better or something like that. But, well, don't, but in 10 years, in 10 years, no one's going to say that anymore. 
I still don't agree um, <laughs> because I have felt it. Um, the The other thing I would say, I think almost no DJs would say vinyl is always better because any DJ that's really paying attention to the real world is aware that 99% of the good dance music isn't actually making it onto a vinyl press because that is, it's a niche market these days. And on the controller end of the spectrum, which is another thing you had mentioned, um, I personally use Tractor Scratch. And Tractor Scratch and Serato are essentially the two professional-grade controller uh, at least vinyl controller options out there. There's a couple others. Uh, I think Newmark has one and stuff, but we'll start from what the software does. The software gives you the option to play back two different audio sources at different rates of time and load up two decks. Sure. If you want to, you can just use it as an internal player, set it up with a mixer and a fader. Um, <laughs> in the... Uh, uh, it's a joke, sorry. Um, uh, you can have an internal crossfader and use the controller itself and just playback music from the software. Now, the audio interface allows you to hook an external input into your laptop as a control interface for the internal software player. So instead of using a mouse, you're using vinyl. Essentially, they're just sending a time code. So they're, they're kind of just, in the most simplest, they're saying, you know, 10101010 at a rate. And if you speed up the turntable, it starts to go 10101010. Or if you, like, turn the, the turntable off, it's going 10101010101010. So it's sending out speed information. And that's about it. Okay. And start, stop, backwards, forwards, at what rate? That's the information that's either coming from the CD player or the turntable. Um, with the turntable, you don't need a special needle. Um, you can use the same needles you'd use for a regular record. Um, oh, because you're just outputting from the regular audio outputs. You'd have the, the regular phono output from your turntable, which is just like the typical output from a record player. That would be at phono level. That plugs into the audio interface. Then the audio interface has two outputs. It has a mirror to the original Fano output that can go into the Fano input of your DJ mixer. Okay, you keep saying Fano. Well, because Fano as opposed to line. No, isn't it Fono? I call it Fano. Fano? Like Bono. <laughs> <laughs> okay, you're the first person I've ever heard say Fano. I think Fono? Fono. Fono, yeah. Like a phonographic record. Phonographic player. Yeah, like a phonographic player. Fano. Fano. Okay, sorry. We've had a an earlier pronunciation. Fa. Yeah, fa. You're gonna say everything fa, like that fa, now. Phonographic. <laughs> um, sorry. Uh, we're getting off subject. So this allows you to switch back and forth between using regular vinyl and the control vinyl. Exactly. You can messages. you can put on you can put on a normal record. Keep it on the phono setting. 
Um, and, and it'll just play like normal. Um, jump over to line level, and now you can put on your special timecode vinyl, and the playback of that record will translate to that same rate of playback of the file that you've assigned to that deck in your software. Sounds like you're saying that we might get rid of some other standards before the turntable. So like uh, in 15 years, we might have a computer in a turntable and get rid of the CD players. For yeah, or, or, or the CD players are going to be replaced with 15-inch square touchscreens that you hook up your, you know, 100-gigabyte flash drive to... And when you plug in your flash drives, it's got, you know, each player has your complete audio archive organized the way you want to in your file labeling system with all your personal preferences popping up on all the control, you know, and your, your touchscreen interface is set up to, yeah, exactly how you like your controller and with the effects you like in your effect banks and, you know, totally like... Digital music isn't going anywhere, and the the ability to control digital music, you know, with... Because the lemur, or lemur, I think, is probably the, the proper way to pronounce that one. But uh, we're going to butcher some pronunciations here and there. Um, that, uh, you know, there have been touchscreen audio interfaces, and, and the iPad has, every day is coming out with new, really pro-level audio applications um, for the use as whether it's an Ableton controller or an effects controller or I could see that going going places but because of how beautifully tactile the vinyl record experience is and the control and I think that the control vinyl experience is a really good emulation I don't think that's going anywhere anytime soon See, my whole thing, I think we're I think we're done with mouses sooner than people realize. I think that's something mouses? that Yeah. Really? Yeah. You're going to go with mouses? I think we're <laughs> brain brain chip and controlling cur- controlling cursors with an implant and and neur- neural neurally controlled cursors. I I I feel so stupid that I have to that I know where I want the cursor to be. And then I have to move my arm to tell my com- like to tell that computer where it goes. Like we're not we're not that far away. And I think that's something that pe- it's going to be one of those like early adopter technologies. If you are listening to this podcast and you're listening to us talk, it's probably because. You have listened to some other things, and you have read some other things, and they've not really done it for you in the area of audio or music or sound design. And I don't think anyone has really come along and done something for pro audio and for sound design like Tape Op Magazine did for the recording studios. And that's what I would really like to do for uh, live events, for pro audio and those kinds of things. And so I want to talk to people who are involved in live events 
and it could be in a in any number of ways but i'm talking to william wardlaw today because not only is he a dj and he has an online presence but he also goes to an incredible number of shows and i'm impressed with that because uh i'm not that old but i've already given up i'm going out a lot just because it's so hard to find things of quality and i know i'm new to the bay area and i don't know the scene very well but it is such a trial just to like get online and see what the music is going to be like. You know, I, I'm not interested in going to a random show anymore. I want to know that quality is going to happen there and that I'm going to like the show. One reason is because I've seen a lot of great shows. And once you see some great shows, you don't want to see crappy shows anymore, you know? So You know what you're missing. Right. So getting back to the subject is that this podcast is really about making better shows and the show is always the theme whatever we're talking about you know we may have talked for an hour about like twitter and soundcloud but in the end or have we yet (laughs) (laughs) because in the end those go back still to having a great show you told me a story once about like this cathartic moment you had in a club in london uh that made you realize the power of, I don't know if I can say dance music, but the power of music or being a DJ in general. So I was wondering if you could sort of tell that story and then lead into why you still go out to shows and why um, and what is great about a club experience, I guess. Is that too many questions in one? No, no I like it. Um, well, I was lucky I was in the honors program at North Carolina Chapel Hill. Just saying. (laughs) And the honors program has these small study abroad programs. One was in Prague. I I forget where they all were, but one was in London. And my junior year, I spent my fall semester doing the honors semester abroad in London. And... It wasn't my first time to Europe. I had studied abroad for a month at a time when I was 16 and 18 in Germany. Um, But I grew up in Ohio. And in general, being a heterosexual kind of dorky dude in Ohio and in North Carolina means you aren't exposed to very much dance music. (laughs) Um, I, I liked... I won't get too off topic, but suffice it to say, my awareness was pretty much Fatboy Slim, Chemical Brothers, Crystal Method, and that was about it. Um, And so I get to, as far as electronic dance music is concerned, and when I was living in London, one of the world's top clubs, hands down, is Fabric, and... I was within walking distance of Fabric, I, just a couple blocks away, and I, I knew it by reputation. I don't even really know how. I think probably through Herb Magazine, URB. The, the moment you mentioned, you know, was really a, a collection of moments, but just the sense of being in a room that sounds perfect. And if anyone has been in room one of Fabric, that room sounds perfect. It's so just that sound is amazing. Um, Room two is awesome in like a banging warehouse sound, but room one is just something else. And 
uh, world-class is really the best way to put it. And to be in a room with positive people, you're so packed in that your arms have to be by your side or above your head because <laughs> there is, it's not an, you can't, you can't do like your elbows out because that's just not an option. There's, you, you'd be a jerk trying to do that because you're just going to put, so you've just got the, like no personal space, but you've got complete anonymity. People around me couldn't be less interested in who I am or in checking in with my ego essentially and you know that's that's a, a recipe for a possible transcendent experience no it changed my life i i i knew that there was a lot about that experience that i wanted to keep experiencing and and unlike a lot of people for me it wasn't about it wasn't a drug fueled experience it wasn't an alcohol fueled experience i couldn't afford to drink i couldn't afford i mean i didn't do drugs but i couldn't afford to do drugs even if i did do drugs really because i could barely afford to get in the door What makes a perfect event and a great uh, club sound experience? I think an immersive quality more than anything is really key. You don't want to feel like music is being played at you. Or, and ideally, you don't really have a single sound source either. Um, I think a good example of that is a new club in San Francisco, Public Works, which is a really great venue and, you know, objective, you know, it sounds really good. They've got a brand new Function One sound system in there. And if anybody knows Function One, they they know quality. They're, they're no joke. But the one thing I would say about that venue is that they have a big function one system on one side of the room and the other side of the room, there's zero sound reinforcement. And so it has the feel kind of of a traditional concert almost where you've got this big speaker stack behind the band that's being played out at the audience and and, and you sort of feel the music coming at you, where for me, a perfect music experience is like the now defunct underground spot, The Compound, or uh, the still live and kicking excellent music venue in downtown San Francisco, 222 Hyde, where there's not a bad sounding spot in that room, and and you feel, you don't feel like the music's being played at you, you just feel like you're in a room full of sound. It 
it's actually really timely because tonight, right now, there's a hearing going on at City Hall about dance music culture. I think the big thing that the hearing today is about, uh, there have been a handful of deaths due to, you know, generally it's a combination of drug use and dehydration. So people coming to see the show. Um, exactly. Wow. But it's an unfair generalization to, to like, intimately tie dance music events to drugs. They're, they're two different things. They both do happen, but you can't, you can't inseparably tie them together. You also can't say that the number of people that have died or have had like serious health problems at these events is disproportionate to the number of people that have those sort of problems and events at any sort of large gathering, whether it's a political rally or a big football stadium or a rock concert. People aren't dying because of dance music. <laughs> people are dying because, you know, th they're taking too many drugs. They're not hydrating. They're being stupid. They're making, they're not making informed decisions. They're not with people that are looking after them, taking care of themselves. They're taking specific cases that are tragic, admittedly, of course, and using them to make a political statement that we need to not allow these sorts of events to happen at places that receive tax dollars. The dance music community is rebutting and saying, no, this is an important part of the local community. It's an important stimulus to the local economy. It is an important healthy outlet for a lot of people in this community that people hold very sacred. The real effect is not going to protect people from these venues. The real effect is going to, it's, it's like any sort of prohibition. It's going to drive it underground to more illegal places where they're cutting corners and getting away with stuff and there's you know maybe there's not good security or there's not enough restrooms or there's not enough fire exits or there's you know bad wiring that's a fire hazard or whatever or the, just the sound sucks you know yeah. electronic music isn't a crime and having your soul reverberated with bass is not a crime and what's what's interesting about the issue is that is that for people that aren't intimately tied to the beautiful vibrant culture that does exist in the dance music community it's easy for them to imagine a life without dance music parties you know and it's easy for them to never, you know, to never go to an event where the person you're looking forward to seeing doesn't start until 2.30 in the morning. <laughs> I mean, I was, I was talking with uh, Ben Clock the other day when he was in town, name dropper. And uh, if people don't know, he was voted like the number four DJ in the world. Oh, I um, voted. Yeah. For sure. Y you don't even know. <laughs> but... On resident advisor, that is. So we can come back to that if we right. like. But um, 
but yeah, he was talking about how yeah his longest performance I think was like nine hours solo or something. But he was Shit. talking about a night where him and another DJ like tag team for fifteen hours or something. Jeez. Just yeah, it's just ridiculous. So, but so I just say that in in that the people that don't get it really don't get it. Well, thanks for coming, and if uh, if you want people to know more about you, what where are you most active online? Uh, the first place to start would probably just be my SoundCloud page. Uh, you can find that just at soundcloud.com slash wwardlaw, uh, W-W-A-R-D-L-A-W. Uh, other than that, I'm on Facebook. Uh, I have a new Twitter account, just William Wardlaw. Um, and yeah, I think check out a As You Like It party in San Francisco. And is that a good come. place to find out about events? Uh, as You Like It, it's, it's a uh, event promotion company, so they do their own events. And uh, some of the best music events you'll, you'll come across in the Bay Area. And, you know, people should come to Zoo House for sure. Every last Friday of the month we have a gallery opening, and I'm the resident here, so... Most months you'll find me playing music. Uh, this upcoming month, you'll see Mr. In April, Mr. Nathan will be in charge, so have his own sound element. And that's right. If I get this up before before the end of April, that'll be good. I should mention that I have a show. It's going to be a sound installation and video installation as well. Um, it's called When I Was Portuguese, backstage at the National Theater. And I wasn't really prepared to talk about it, but um, uh, it is a surround sound immersive installation, and you'll basically feel like you're backstage at the National Theater of Portugal and be able to hear the actresses move around you as they are in between acts, or pre-show or doing the sound check and things like that. And I have all the subtitles on the screen so you can actually see what they're talking about. Nice. Yeah. Sounds cool. All right, I'll so beat it. I guess let's go watch Squidbillies. It's a drunk boat truck. <laughs>